This episode of Experience by Design is brought to you by the Experience Research Society, also known as Expresso. Expresso is a global community of academics and practitioners that seeks to foster cross-disciplinary collaboration around experiences to create scientific and societal impact. Expresso means to make experience research relevant to experience-centric businesses and industries. And who doesn't need a little more Expresso in their life? Check out Expresso at experienceresearchsociety.org. Hi, I'm Gary David. And I'm Adam Gamwell. Welcome to Experience by Design, the podcast where we explore experience designs of all kinds. We're all pretty familiar that in this media environment, we are being beset on all sides, surrounded, attacked by messages. And given the amount of messages we're always receiving, it can be really hard to connect with your audiences. More challenging still is educating and impacting and not just connecting. We are all familiar, for instance, with ads on television for different medications, from restless leg syndrome to depression to atrial fibrillation, I think I said that correctly, to skin problems to the famous Wilford Brimley diabetes advertisements. Diabetes. Just got to love saying that. Diabetes. 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 Given those amount of messages, it's easy to start to feel uneasy about our health, but I don't know that we're any more educated about our health. And it does raise the question whether these advertisements are there to educate or, on the other hand, convince that we need to indeed, quote unquote, speak to our doctor about a certain drug, despite the horrific, quickly spoken side effects that are shoehorned into the very end. Even when we're focused on human-centered design, even when we think about the needs of people, even when we care about people in producing our products, It is easy to lose sight of that human in the drive for profit. Not that there's anything wrong with making a profit, but when that becomes a sole driver, then all other considerations can in fact take a backseat to that primary goal. To be successful in marketing and branding and to create better marketing and branding experiences, we need to think about not just convincing, but also connecting and educating. And as our media and social environments continue to change, we have to be innovative in how we create content that connects with people in a way that makes them feel cared for and not just targeted. And to that end, today on Experience by Design, we are really excited to welcome Dr. Wanda Toro-Torini of Catchwords and Rocket Fuel. And now Wanda has built a career around innovating how people connect with their target audiences. Go beyond the idea of just sharing information, but true education, true connection. And her interest in helping people led her to get a doctorate in pharmacology, and her passion for innovation and entrepreneurship led her to work with Novartis as a sales specialist that worked in innovation around a digital e-business. And this path ultimately led her to exploring how to optimize how we can connect with people, leveraging the power of technologies, especially emerging and new tech, to create more engaging content with folks. And we're going to explore the concepts of awareness versus education, something I think that's really important, especially in marketing and content creation. And she tells us about her move away from pharmacy and pharmacological work into sales and entrepreneurship and what she learned in this process in each different area along the way. So it's really kind of this fun pathway of understanding how she made the steps that she made. We're also going to be discussing why we need an outside perspective 
especially in business, to help us see what we can do for others and how to create systems that we can deliver on that promise. Oftentimes, I know for me, certainly you get stuck in my own heads. So I don't often see what's the bigger pathway I could to, to help others also along the journey. And finally, we talk importantly about shamanic journeys and strategic meditation. And what a long, strange trip it's been. As well, this is the first of our series of EXD Live, hosted by the ever-affable Michael Kirkpatrick on location at Centric Park in beautiful downtown Newburyport, Massachusetts. Centric Park provides experience design and rapid innovation for great companies committed to customer centricity. You can check them out at centricpark.com. And thanks again to Michael for hosting us for this session. Well, it's interesting because I worked for a pharmaceutical company and I still support which one? Uh, Novartis oh, Pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Okay. Right yeah. And, yeah. And um, they and I worked in the oncology division. Yeah. So we were helping cancer patients. And um, but in, in pharma in general, they I guess the attempt to be authentic is to kind of display people that are supposed to look the, the ads are just horrible. Horrible. Yes. They, famously, they're yeah. famously horrible and it still hasn't changed. And it's funny with all the things because I have like five bazillion visions in my mind of what I want to do. And I'm like, well, all right. Um, but um, but I just want to change that so much. But it's difficult for a large company to be authentic. Now, having worked inside, I will say not everybody may agree, but the people that worked on those oncology marketing teams really cared. Like they felt proud that they were able to get a product, a, a treatment to a patient that needed it. Right. And so that was their mission. It's like, okay, we need to help the doctor understand if the patient failed this treatment, then our treatment is the next option. And how do we, we do all that, which is all great. But then you go outside and you look at the ads and they're not. And my thought was, in, in today's world, I would say, put me as the director of the brand, and I'm going to talk about why this is so important to me to make sure that I teach you about our product. Like, actually get to know the people that are working on it, because the product itself right. isn't a person. Right. So how do you do authentic communication and connection yeah. with that? It has to be about the people that are sharing the message, yeah. you know, well, let's, let's back up a little bit because yeah. you don't get a PhD in what you got a PhD in to do marketing. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it, that, yeah. that wasn't the plan. Right? right. And your PhD is in pharmacy, pharmacy. Yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah, I need a PhD in pharmacy so I can be marketer right. in a pharma no. company. So, so why bang your head against the wall with marketing people with the edifice that is marketing when that wasn't, I'm assuming the main reason why you got into getting a PhD in pharmacy in the first place. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting because um, the objective is the same. I felt in, in the sense of trying to get uh, optimal outcomes in patients, right? So the pharmacist is not the prescriber. The mm. pharmacist is technically the expert in the treatments and evaluating whether that treatment, um, 
is going to interact with any other treatments, right. interact with the fact that the patient has low kidney function or liver function or whatever. So they're looking at the, the, the treatment of the patient holistically. And the doctor is really looking at just that particular disease state, right? right. So if it's an oncologist, when I was helping oncologists, they're just looking at the cancer treatment, not the fact that the patient also has high cholesterol and, and mm -hmm. high blood pressure and all these things. And, and now it's like a holistic patient. So, um, just wanting better outcomes, right? Now, interesting, that's out of like, oh, I'm a healthcare professional, I want better outcomes. And and I yeah. did a lot of education as that role. That uh, to me, the what, what I took on was, um, I had the opportunity to help that family or to help that patient understand why it's important for them to have this tablet with food. Mm. Why is it important for them to take the blood pressure medication at night because they're probably going to get dizzy within an hour or two. So it's better that they're sleeping when that dizziness comes about. Yeah. All of these different things, right? The doctor's not going to explain that. That's just not their their function. So I felt when I went into the pharmaceutical industry and in marketing, I felt like, wow, this is an opportunity to amplify that impact of education. Right. Right. Like when, when a company has $12 million dollars, um, to spend on the marketing, they're 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 spending it in two different ways. They're spending it on trying to acquire new patients, mm -hmm. which in my view is appropriate selection of that patient, right? Mm -hmm. And they're also trying to make sure that you're optimizing the therapy. Now, in their mind, from a monetary perspective, well, we want to make sure that you don't stop the treatment before you should stop the treatment, right? Yeah. So. For example, if you don't take it correctly and then you say, oh, the drug's not working, then you're going to stop the treatment, right? For me, I saw it as a healthcare professional. Well, I'm aligned with your mission, maybe for different reasons, but I'm aligned in the sense that I want that patient to take it correctly so that they get the most from that treatment. Otherwise, now they're going to have to switch and switching isn't necessarily the best option. So a lot of times drugs are, are switched off because really we're not taking it correctly. So we're, we perceive that it's not working, but it's because we haven't been taking it correctly. Mm. And so a pharmaceutical company wants to maintain, you know, how long you're on their, their product. Um, I'm just trying to make compliance and adherence. You know, that's the, the fancy schmancy words around it. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine how much that doctor must have enjoyed a former cheerleader walking into their office, <laughs> who's yes. a marketing person from a pharma company, educating them on how uh, better to, to treat their patient. So this is interesting because I did not want to be a salesperson when I joined Novartis. So I joined Novartis actually as a postdoctoral fellowship. I was um, their first marketing fellow. It was a... Um, an experiment that they had uh, thinking, well, it would be interesting to actually have a healthcare professional on our marketing team right? Um, hmm. so that they can help us communicate better with the healthcare professionals. So, um, so that was my mission. And then as I started kind of getting more experience and wanting to have higher positions, um, everybody said, well, you have to carry the bag all of the marketers carry the bag. And I'm like, well, is that what it's called? The bag? The bag. Carry the <laughs> bag. Was there a bag? This, 
Um, I guess long ago there was a bag. Sales reps, there but was you a didn't bag. have a bag. Um, I actually did have a. bag. You had a bag. There was a bag. I had a bag because I because what happens is you have all of these brochures and materials and right. articles mm. that you bring into the doctor's office and based on the conversation you say, well, actually in this pivotal trial it be between drug X A and A and B blah, blah blah. So you do have kind of your your bag of of tricks or your bag of information. Mm. Now, um. But I did not want to carry the bag because I knew how healthcare professionals perceived sales reps. Right. Mm. Because most sales reps do not have a healthcare background. Right. Yeah, so they're sense. just trained. And I have been involved in training um, sales reps. They're really good at memorizing all the things. Um, it's only after they've done it for a while that they really understand. But it's frustrating when you have a sales rep saying all the things that you know that they've been taught, but they don't really I don't know why. Understand. Yeah, they don't know why and such. But that's their job. That's what they, they need uh, to do. But when you get into mm -hmm. oncology or um, uh, what was the other transplant treatments where it's really, really specialized, then usually those sales reps are much more experienced. So they've been at least in the healthcare game for a long time. They can have better conversations. But in general, doctors do not want to look at them as advisors, right? Mm. So now finally towards the end of my re relationship at Novartis, they recognized um, that I was on a leadership development program and they're like, you should really carry the bag. And I'm like, ah, all right, fine. <laughs> you know, so I had 18 months to carry the bag and it was my last job at Novartis and actually the most enlightening mm. for me because first of all, um, I have a doctorate degree. I had physicians that don't want to call me doctor because yeah, I know <laughs> I'm that, a doctor. I know that feeling. Yeah, yeah. I'm a medical uh, doctor. You're not a doctor, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And then others that loved that, right? So I had to kind of figure out which were the doctors that actually were excited about being able to have deeper conversations right. versus which were the doctors that actually were kind of peeved that I would even think that I would be you know, qualified to have it where if I was standing next to them in the hospital, I would absolutely be qualified to have the conversation. But just because I was carrying the bag, right? I was in a different yeah. position. Oh Lord, I can I can I, I would also only imagine your calm, subdued demeanor must have been oh, a huge asset. Yes. When no, my acting capabilities were really good <laughs> because um I use the acting to um to actually mirror people. Right. Right. So mm. I had to understand where when a physician wanted to see the bubbly version of Wanda versus the the really, you know, subdued and just the just the facts, ma'am, you know, sort of of person. But it boy, it's sales. I give sales reps a lot of credit. It's you're constantly rejected, constantly, not yeah. whether it's by staff. I, I mean, people are people. So it, it just because you're a sales rep, people treat sales reps really, really poorly. And they're just trying to do their job. That's their jam. Um, and they're just trying to do their job. And it's, it's really, really bad. And I could go on about how doctors force us to pay for lunch for their entire office of 20 something people just to be able to talk to them. And it, I had one office that required a hot lunch. A hot lunch, of course. For 23 yes. people. If I wanted to come to speak <laughs> to him, 
This is funny on the flip side because my mom's a registered nurse. And uh -huh. so we'd always get excited when pharma folks came to the office because we get free lunch. Right. You know? And pens. <laughs> As a kid. And lots and, of pens. And pens and stickers lots and stuff. Of pens. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Yes. It's uh, really, really interesting. But it's like, ah, oh, okay. I've become a caterer now. <laughs> yeah. And I'd have to follow like, do they have Mexican last time? Okay. So this time I'm bringing Italian. That's a true Also, CRM I can right get there. the yeah. proper medication. Yeah. Also, you can and, get the proper medication. And. Right. Yeah. Let's not forget that. It's both at both end here. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I can get the proper medication. Adam's Adam needs a hot lunch. Yeah. yeah. So they could be educated. Now, now the thing is, it's really about awareness because of course physicians, nurses, I mean, they they're educated in many different ways. There's continuing education. There, there are, you know, official education methods. So when you think of a sales rep, it's not really education. It's more like awareness, mm. right? When something new pops up, when a new study comes up, there's so much going on. Yeah. A, a doctor doesn't know about that. So if you position yourself in that way, just saying, hey, I just wanted you to be aware that this new study came out. These are the highlights. I'm just going to drop it off for you so that you can. So there's an mm. appreciation because you're presenting it to in that way, right? Versus let me discuss this, you know, yeah. trial of it, whatever. So, you know, you just kind of have to have to be aware of how to to bring it up. But, um, but I I won President's Club as as a yeah. sales rep, and I didn't expect that because my my the sales um. Territory that they gave me was, I think, like the third from the last out of like 80 territories or something. And then I wound up being number two. And at the very end, I was number three because one of the other reps knew how to get a doctor to order a bulk, do a bulk order before the end of the year. I was like, oh, man. Did you, did you get a new bag for that? Or is it the same old no, bag? No, it was the same bag. It's a bulk bag. Yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. It was a leather bag, though. And when I was in high school, I, it was interesting. I always wanted to work for a big company just so that I could wear a suit and carry a leather briefcase. That was like, That's that was my vision of what success was. So, and then as I was wearing a suit and carrying a leather briefcase, I'm like, it's like this is my <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. This is okay. That's yeah. It, yeah. But it's, it's after that happened. Um, and I went through all the rejection and everything and I realized I was like, hmm, I think I'm getting uh, getting prepared to become an entrepreneur. Mm. And mm. and so when I was when I came back and they said, so you've done really well. And now we're going to come bring you back as a director. And da, 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 da. I was like, well, I think I have to follow my heart. And I have mm. so many ideas and so many solutions that I can't so many problems that I want to solve that I can't solve as I'm working with you. So I have to move on. How, how did you kind of not some like not entirely come to that decision, but then how did you, how did you, did you rehearse in your head how to say that to them? Or like, how did that happen? Uh, um, <laughs> I had to realize like, what was the biggest reason? And I had a lot of reasons. Mm. Um, I realized that I had the fortune of having really great bosses. Mm. Um, and there were a couple of ones that, well, weren't that great, but um, I realized the influence that they had in my life and they seemed to really like dig what they did. Um, and I thought, wow, I have had this desire to be an entrepreneur for such a long time. Now I've gone through this entire process to go back, to be a director, to lead a team. 
Mm. And I want to feel like I am all in because I know that my good managers supported my development. My good managers really were, were looking at, at how I can move up the ladder. And, um, and I said, I would feel stuck. I don't think I would be a good manager because, well, Mm. I want to correct that. Um, I think I would be a good manager yet. I would suffer inside, right? Yeah, yeah. All of my ideas would just kind of die. And I feel ultimately I would be unhappy and I wouldn't be the best manager that mm. I could be. And um, and I realized that my decision to say yes to a director job would not only affect my life, but would affect other people's lives. Mm, interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, hmm. And my my mentor at the time didn't expect that sort of answer because that's kind of thinking pretty ahead um for 25 20 no 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 at that point i was oh well let's not discuss that was um in <laughs> 2005 uh, but um but yeah so so that was one of the reasons i i told them i, I was very appreciative because they put a lot of extra money in time because i was in this leadership program i was mm. being mentored by a vp um and I also explained to them that I just had so many innovative ideas that I felt like I would be annoying to them constantly mm. bringing up, you know, I needed to. And she she actually said, Wanda, I always knew that you were going to leave us. I always knew that you were going to be an entrepreneur. And I said, what? Mm. She's like, yeah, I just had to figure out how to keep you here as long as possible. Mm. That's like really sad, though, because the idea that companies can't can't provide the proper environment for people that are innovators and entrepreneurial thinkers at heart. Right. And I, mm-hmm. we see this a lot that companies just don't yeah. have the space because they're so, you know, focused in on doing the 80% of their business or 9% of the business that they always do that we introduce something more. It's not what a great idea. It's like, we don't have time for this regardless of whether or not it's yes. a really good idea. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you what I loved about, that company is, uh, because I was in the oncology division, they actually, it, it was like a small company within a big company. So they had the opportunity to be really innovative mm. and move much more quickly than the bigger company. And the bigger company actually allowed them to do it. It was like this experiment. Like, I wonder if we let them kind of be like, you know, mm. a, a small business sort of thing, um, entrepreneurial. But then I came into that environment. I'm like, yeah. And and um, during that time, I um, I I literally launched the first website ever wow. for Novartis in 1997. Cool. Um, I um, at one point um, we were doing virtual sales where we were literally meeting with physicians prior to Zoom and such. We were doing video mm. calls. And so we had video sales reps and I was figuring out how to actually create materials for the sales reps um, digitally. Um, I, I was put on a lot of innovative mm. product projects. Um, I proposed, um, I was the very first internet strategist or internet marketer in pharma, in the pharmaceutical industry because I actually pitched the idea huh. um, to one of the VPs. I was just meeting with him. Um, because he was a pharmacist as well. So he was like, hey, how are things going and whatever. And I was like, you know what? Um, the finance industry and the travel industry are really using the internet a lot. This technology and the internet, it was like the internet. And um, 
I feel like we're missing out on using the internet to work with patients and healthcare professionals. So I feel like there there would be, but but the issue is all tech companies, like they didn't, they didn't really fit well with the pharma industry because the pharma industry is so regulated. So they wouldn't understand the regulations and it, there was this clash. So I was like, it would be really cool if there was somebody who like went out there, explored what these other industries were doing and then brought it back to see how we can use it in the industry. And he said, you're hired. And I was like, <laughs> what do you mean? He, he's like, I think that's a great idea. We're going to have to figure out a compensation package. Like how, because they're like, I don't know, how do you, we bonus you out? And like, and I'm like, my boss is going to be really upset. <laughs> and I I called it an internet, uh, internet business strategist. That That's what it was. And I got to go to some really cool, like just total tech, like no healthcare at mm. all. Um, and just learn about technology all over the place. And uh, and um, through that process, I, I introduced um, the Palm Pilot to our sales force. Oh yeah, there I've we go. That. Okay, yeah. Right? Palm Pilot. So it was the Palm 2, right? Was the like the, right? Yeah. So I was like, do you understand how valuable it would be for the sales force to be able to have like objection handling and questions like right there on this little device that they can reference? Um, now, back then they had to like, it, it, there was no Wi-Fi, so they had to like, um, you know, refresh it at their PC or at home, and then they had it for the day. Mm. And they were like, "Oh, this is interesting." So, so instead of all of these uh, printed uh, digital commu uh, printed communications that the sales reps had, they had all of those guides on their Palm Pilot that they could look through. Oh my goodness, it was hellish getting sales reps to use a, a device. They, first uh, of all, they thought it was like, it was like the company was, you know, had a low jack and spy, yeah, spying on them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And were um, they? No. Oh, okay. Not then. Not, <laughs> not then. then. Not yeah, then. Right. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. ridiculous. A company would never spy on their employees yeah. through technology. No. By the way, that's how it became <laughs> more, more accepted because my program flopped because <laughs> I was thinking about the, the sales reps and um, how it could be of value to them and, and all of that stuff. But management was like, oh, they're playing on these things and these devices. Are they really <laughs> whatever? Right. <laughs> when later on, when it became like, oh, they could use tablets and you can track when they're showing a, a, a digital sales piece or whatever, then it became like, yay, this is interesting <laughs> to do. So it was quite disappointing that when it was, actually made to serve the sales reps, it didn't work as well. I'm sure being 20 something years old, like I, I did a lot of flubby things, you know, in that process. Um, but, uh, but they tried, the point is that they tried to keep me, um, and mm. on innovative projects, but like there was only like innovation to a certain level, like to like corporate threshold. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. right. Yes. And, um, and so that's really interesting as companies try to encourage innovation, um, I think they don't. Uh, they they may not be prepared to right. really support people in in a fully innovative thought process. People love throwing the word around, but you really can't outpace the appetite for innovation because once you do, then it just leads to rejection and dejection, which is worse than being a salesperson because it's coming from the inside and it's supposed to be what you're what your job is supposed to be about. It's what your what task is supposed to be. And then you try to do it. 
you know, I've, yep. I've seen it in my school, right? And I, I like where I work um, and thank God they don't listen to this. But, you know, the idea of be innovative. Why don't we do this? No, not that innovative. Could you be a little less innovative? Right. Could you be about mm -hmm. how do, how do, incrementalist? Right. Can you be, you just slow your roll a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we don't mean innovative. We just want you to be, you know, innovative. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, just, yeah, you know, yeah. innovative. I mean, just like a little bit out of just the box. Just one in. Yeah, yeah just a little <laughs> bit. Box, but a little Let's not go box. crazy here. Yeah. Well, it, but, but it's interesting because I was just talking to um, one of my clients helps uh, STEM professionals in their leadership development within large corporations, where all of a sudden they're used to managing technical experts and then they start hitting the non-technical people, right? Mm -hmm. So you have the, the um, more pragmatic fact-based people and then you have the people people, right? And then there's like, <laughs> and so she was talking about the dynamic of people with the STEM background, um, just feeling like, well, I'm, I'm here to, to and analyze this and give you my feedback and like, what's your issue? Like, this is my job. Right. And, and I was like, as she was talking, I'm like, holy crap, this is what happened. So I was the experiment, the huh. STEM professional that was in the marketing world, right? Mm. And so I'm coming up with all these solutions. People are like, oh, slow your roll, right? I'm thinking, oh, if it fails, we analyze it. We see how, to, how we, do, we improve mm. it. We move forward. And other people are like, this is a debacle. You know, oh my goodness, how can we like recover from this? This and we're, I'm like, wait a second, but you want to be innovative, like that's an iterative right. process. You don't just win from the beginning. And then one time, I gave a suggestion. Um, it was literally, it was, it was a roundtable um, to promote innovation. By the mm -hmm. way, um, everybody got to have lunch with like one uh, of the big ones. Uh, lunch. <laughs> uh, you brought your own. Oh, you your okay. Own. Well, <laughs> it wasn't a hot There we go. Yeah. yeah, and they didn't pay for it. Um, so we had, no, no, no. Actually, for these events, they did pay for it. So I shall correct myself. That's classy. Yes, it was classy. And so it's like, oh, have lunch with a big wig. Now they're going to make you feel comfortable. We would love your feedback on like how we can make things better, whatever. And you had people saying, oh, we would love cure eggs for, for coffee and blah, 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 whatever. And then I felt that my suggestion may have been a, a little bit too much for the group. So I kind of waited for it to, to finish. And I spoke on the side and I had a suggestion on how to restructure this new department to help a particular objective. I'm like, this is just an idea, but I was thinking da, 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 da. So she listens to it, to me. I go back to my office. I felt heard. And my VP of marketing and sales, he comes into my office. Wanda, what the F did you tell <laughs> so-and-so bigwig? And I'm like, what you talking about, Willis? And I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, you just told her that this department is a total mess. And did, I'm like, no, I didn't. I'm like, I didn't do it. I just gave some ideas. And he was like, you don't understand what I'm going to have to do to like repair this. And I'm thinking I actually went off and I was like, isn't this what you pay me for? So like when you said that, right. yeah. I'm like, I thought that that's what I'm here for to like provide value. That's that was my thought. I wasn't like, being mean or didn't intend any harm. And um, I remember being like really mm -hmm. frustrated. And so when I thought about going back yeah. as well, I thought, oh man, I'm going to have to deal with a lot of that stuff. Mm. But, but it's very interesting. That like is. how can a company facilitate innovation authentically mm -hmm. when mm. they don't really know what innovation is, by the way? Because right. if the people that say we want to be innovative are probably being like, come on, guys, think of ideas. And then they're like, yep. I don't know how to handle this. 
And typically, typically have like, they're going to fast follow or some, some corporate BS, right? They're going to like try to copy what's already out there versus actually do something new. Yeah. 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 We see it all the time. And, and what I find interesting is that, um, for the companies that have been really, really innovative, I mean, you think of Apple or you think of Tesla or whatever, and, and you think the innovators are considered to be extremely um, just wacky in their communication oh, yeah. or just like pragmatic or just like this is what it is or no, that sucks. or And um, in a way maybe there should be a balance, a balance to that, but let them kind of be in their space, you know? Well, it seems that there's a lot of, and there's been, I've looked at some really nice books on this. You have like Walt Disney, but you have Roy Disney, who was the ops guy. Oh. You know, you have Steve Jobs, but I always have Wozniak, who's more of like the ops guy. Yes. So you like, you need mm-hmm. that ops person to actually, you know, in innovative thinking, design thinking, we talk about divergence and convergence, right? Yeah. So you need that person to operationalize and implement, but you don't necessarily put that onto the innovator because that's not their thing, right? right? You know, like with us doing this podcast or whatever, me live streaming on Twitch, you know, it's not my job to help my school figure out how to leverage that. Mm-hmm. I'm the idea person. Mm-hmm. You figure it out. You got mm-hmm. people who are supposed to be able to do that. If you don't have the right people, go find some. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. don't burden your innovators with implementation and operationalization. Let them innovate. But you need that bridge. In this book called Loon Shot, there was a lot of discussion about that bridge. You need that person to be the bridge, to be the translator between the groups, between the traditional structure of the organization and that kind of skunk ops kind of group. Mm -hmm. That's the innovative group. And if you don't Mm -hmm. have that link, that connection, you know, they can't talk to each other because they're literally speaking different languages. Yes. I I mean, Mm -hmm. I think this is a huge problem to solve. Um, Of course you see, I'm the entrepreneur. I'm already like, okay, (laughs) this is a program. Um, But, but, but seriously, because, in, in in just letting the words come out, I realize the issue is that the folks that desire the innovation don't really understand what that means, and they don't understand the um, the chemistry of, of you know what happens in that process of somebody being visionary, right? Mm. So there's actually a book called Rocket Fuel. Um, it's not my rocket fuel. It's actually R O C K E T fuel. Um, but in that book called rocket fuel, um, they focus on, I feel like it was maybe around 500 companies that, that had this hockey stick growth. Mm. And what they found was what was critical was that, um, two roles had to be very, very distinct. There had to be a visionary Mm. and there had to be an integrator, which is Mm. technically the implementer, Right. And when they reached that hockey stick growth, it was when finally the visionary was allowed to just be a visionary. Right. And then the integrator took on all the operational work. And they actually have a test in the book for you to take. And I was 94% visionary. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, no wonder. Now, the thing is, the distinction is sometimes you can be good, very good at something that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like, your core and your, so I'm a very good operational systematizer. I, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And that maybe comes from my, my pharma scientific um, world to create processes. But when I'm in my zone, like 
and to take that test and have them say that I was 94% visionary, it was interesting because the test was intended to be like who you are as a person, not necessarily what your capabilities were. If it was mm. capabilities, I may have come out as a 50-50, but however they posed those questions, I was like, um, which put me on the path of recognizing I needed to find people to support the operational execution of my ideas as quickly mm. as possible. Is that what happened when you were had your strategic planning retreat with your husband on the cruise ship? <laughs> that you had the ideas and because you did. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to talk about that because the idea that you have a strategic plan for your family makes me feel completely inadequate um, and makes me question many of my life choices in the past. But I'm just trying to imagine y'all, you know, you with this idea, you know, generation, your husband being, you know, see the ops person was like, OK, I'm going to integrate this. This is how we're going to do it. Totally. He is totally the COO of our family. Yeah, totally. Does he have a business card? He is. <laughs> so he is a mechanical engineer. He is a certified project manager. So oh, I just had the, the, the thought of, of actually doing the business planning. And then he, and he actually brought up the family planning, not in the, you know, right. but in the, the family strategic plan. There weren't thermometers involved. There weren't thermometers right. involved, right. And, um, and then together we realized, um, actually, no, I think I'm going to give him credit on, on this one. He said, I think we should do our family strategic planning first so that we ensure that the business is serving our family goals and our personal goals wow. versus the reverse. And I was like, you know what? Wow. That's why I thought you were sexy. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was like, He's a keeper. Smart and sexy. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. So we go on a cruise. We actually were trying to figure out whether we should do, we just went on a cruise. So should we do it in January? And I, I recommended doing it in March this time. Um, but uh, we go on a cruise. We make sure it's a two week cruise because we have, come to realize you need three or four days of just chilling mm -hmm. before you could start any planning. Then we figured out what do we want the next year? What's important for us in the next year for, um, for our family. Um, and then make sure that the, the business kind of supports that. And that doesn't work every time because one of my goals for 2022 was peace and serenity. That hasn't How's, happened. Oh, uh, you, you got a month. You got a month. Yeah, I got a month. Yeah, it's got plenty of time. And you're a pharmacist. I mean, you have a pharmacological degree. I'm sure you can find somewhere in that background some peace and serenity. Yeah, right. Peace and serenity, but maybe it's peace and serenity without drugs. Oh, well, that's different. <laughs> that you, that's different. Yeah, that's Con a design constraint, right there. Context is everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So hmm. there you go. We had somebody that, and he he took it on. He was like, "All right," and he he comes up with the structure for the meeting. And um, we have pictures of me standing there with a with the little flip uh, board or whatever right. that, that we ask the the cruise ship to provide. Of course. And uh, is this a flat organization, or I mean, who does the <laughs> annual review, performance review, <laughs> allocation of bonuses? I mean, how does this work? I, I, I will tell you. Like I did say, I'm like we, this works so great. We this needs to be like. A program in and of itself. We bring families to do their, and he's like, no, 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 He's like, if we do, we need to do ours first. So we take care of ours and then we do it separately. I'm like, well, maybe. So well, Marie Kondo didn't do that. So it's okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's in the books. I will let you know when the rocket fuel strategy cruise. <laughs> cruise strategy. Put your strategy on cruise control. It's, it's it sells itself. Oh, like, I like it. <laughs> 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 sells itself. <laughs>
I like it. I love that idea too. I mean, I, so thinking about this, this is, I think a really intriguing notion too, in terms of, um, like when one's, if you do this test and realize, wait, oh crap, I'm a visionary or I'm, I'm actually an ops person. Like, uh, how do you then find your, your partner, your opposite? Like, how do you, how do you like put that out in the world? Uh, it, it's tough, but if you do see people differently as a mm. result of that, you almost start categorizing like, okay, are they an operational or are they visionary? And recognizing that it's just the whole thing with, with hiring where, where they say, oh, don't hire too many people of mm. yourself. When you're an entrepreneur, you get totally stoked that the other people that are like, that's an awesome idea. That's an awesome idea. And, and you realize, oh, they may be visionary themselves. So mm. I started asking anybody who I hired to actually take that same test. Okay. Interesting. So I asked them, can you please take this test and made sure that I hired people that were heavier on the integrator side. Mm. Um, so that was one thing that immediately I started, uh, I started doing and, um, but they, I believe they may have a service where they could potentially find an integrator for mm. you as well. Um, but I think I found mine, but we're in the process of trying to figure <laughs> that's fair. figure it out but we're working together currently so that's the key yes yes to see it how it works one of the patterns i'm seeing here can i if i can be like a little bit of a psychoanalyst and i do have a bachelor's degree in psychology so nice. that totally qualifies me yeah, <laughs> totally. That's how you know. there seems to be like this larger pattern of you working with really smart people Mm-hmm. And trying to help them see the possibilities and potentials and the, their skills and their ideas, and then creating awareness as a pathways to achieve greater outcomes. Interesting. Right. I mean, you yeah. did you did this, you know. This is recorded, right? Because- yeah. Yeah, no, no. Because like <laughs> you know, pharmacological studies is about that, right? Trying mm-hmm. to educate people on, you mm-hmm. know, here's how to achieve, you know, wholeness, wellness, outcomes that are better. Working in Novartis, the same thing. The husband you married. Same thing. And then also with rocket fuel, you work with a lot of smart people who have really great ideas and need assistance to figure out how to operationalize, how to create pathways to achieving greater outcomes. (laughs) You really get me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, right. I mean, it seems like uh, every step along the way, you know, you're right there with people who are really smart and not rather than being like, wow, they're really smart. It's like, okay, they're really smart, but they need my help. Yes. And Mm. what's interesting, literally, I think it was just a week. Well, yeah. When I was on vacation, so a week and a half ago, I was thinking, I'm like, Hmm, should I, should I actually clarify a niche, um, focusing on folks? I just don't know how to say really smart, right? Right. Like Mm. it's, but you're right. I feel like folks that maybe, maybe in a corporate position currently, um, highly experienced experts in a particular space, right? right? Um, they they may be either considering entrepreneurship or they may be in entrepreneurship. But the issue is that um, it it kind of hurts us to be too smart. Oh, yeah. Being an entrepreneur, mm. you feel like you want you should be able to figure it all out yourself. So you do a lot of studying and researching like, oh, how am I going to build this website? How am I going to? So you tend to do a lot of stuff on your own. Um, Have you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? I have it. I've read parts of that. I've not done the whole thing. Okay. Have you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Okay. So Robert Kiyosaki, have you? Yeah. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, the the main concept Robert Kiyosaki was, was saying is that he 
in his life, he had his his real biological dad, which he considers his poor dad, and his best friend's dad, who was an entrepreneur, which he considers his rich dad. And through the process, through the book, he talks about the uh, the different life lessons that he learned from from each of them. And the poor dad, by the way, had a PhD. Hmm. And Lesson um, that, one. that actually makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that I mean, poor dad having a PhD seems totally believable. <laughs> See, totally <laughs> totally <laughs> believable. <laughs> I mean, was it a PhD in sociology or anthropology? Oh, because yeah. then that would absolutely teach. <laughs> yeah, he's teaching at five or six different places. Yeah, that that that, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> well, what we're saying is, unfortunately, the frameworks that his poor dad were, were working on were, you know, work really, really hard, get an advanced degree. Mm. This is how what success looks like. And, um, and his rich dad was really about like just the business world, like figure out how you can, how you can serve somebody. What's the value of that for them and all all these Mm. things. And Robert Kiyosaki didn't consider himself to be a very smart person. And um, he was like, it it was actually kind of um, good that I was lazy because what happened was I was always figuring out how do I systematize this so that other people can do it. Uh. Right. Okay. So from the beginning, if you don't have the capability, but you have the idea and you have the drive, you're not stuck with, I should be able to figure out how to do it. You're just like, all right. So my job is to figure out how other people can do it. And Mm. that's a business system that can be sold, that can run on its own without the owner. But no, smarty pants come Mm. out of their jobs or their degrees or whatever. And we become solopreneurs. Right. As the specialists, like we can do, we need to do it. We went through all this schooling to do the thing. Right. right? And it's very hard for us to actually think about business structure that could possibly be an extension of all the work and money I've spent on Mm. my knowledge and expertise. And um, and so that's why inherently somebody who is highly intelligent or highly expertise is at a disadvantage when they start their entrepreneurial journey. And and when I was on vacation, I thought about that. I was like, hmm. those are my peeps because that's what I was. Right. I when I left, my six my initial two years was living off of my savings. I just hmm. saved. Um and and I had all these ideas and I was doing all the things, but I, I didn't have a structure right. on how to actually expand. So I would get like this great deal, you know, great opportunity. And then of course, couldn't focus on selling or marketing. So then when that project was over, then it was like feast or famine, you know? Right, right. Mm. Um, and I was always stuck in the business and it took me a really, really long time to get to this point where I'm consistently thinking about the system so that I can get out. And um, so, and it's really more so that I can choose how long I want to be part of the process. Right. Yeah. Cause once there's a system you can implement and then, you know, maybe monitor, but you don't have to run and then right. you can go out and do I other can, stuff. I can do the speaking. I could be the right. face. I can create the partnerships. You know, I can establish the vision of the organization. And when you think about it, um, this is why I love to work with impact driven people is that you actually create greater legacy and impact. If you create a system around your expertise, hmm. right? Yeah. Like if it's just you, first of all, you're you're capped out as to how many people you can serve. And secondly, when you can't do it anymore, then there it goes. But when you really have a drive to 
impact people because what you've learned, what you've discovered um, could really help accelerate somebody's path, then like, why make it finite like that? You can teach other people that those methodologies, you could create right. systems around it. And intelligent people can do it. It's just not having somebody to, to say like, hey, to, to do this doesn't, doesn't diminish your expertise. It just allows you to actually impact more people. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense too, because it's, yeah, because there's, there's often like an identity element wrapped up with my expertise, right? That like, this is what I know is also who I am, especially mm-hmm. for academics, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is, I think, a really intriguing notion of how do we get ourselves to think in system, which is funny because we talk about as ethnographers, we want to get people to think in systems more often, but we don't translate it to often our own work. Yeah. Um, this is episodes for all academics anywhere. Anybody has any yeah. degree. <laughs> Well, there, you know, there's this guy named Richard Harper, who's a ethnomethodologist, ethnographer, used to work yeah. at Microsoft. And one of the things he talked about is, you know, when you're doing ethnography, you need to, especially in corporate ethnography, you need a system. Because the yeah. people that you are integrating with or interacting with in organizations, you know, they aren't going to buy. We're just going to come in, hang out, see what happens, and then we'll come back and tell you what we found. Mm-hmm. They yeah. want to see a structure in kind yes. of, especially quantitatively driven people want to see a structure. Yep. So he's like, even if you don't have a system, have a system because, you know, you need to create a structure that looks like it's valid and trustworthy and authentic and reasonable. Yeah. And the funny thing is like, you obviously would have a system anywhere. You you already are pre-planning if you're doing any kind of you yeah. know, qual research or, or even quant. It's like, you have to have a, like, what's my sample size, my questions, who I'm going after, how long is it going to take? Like you already have all that, mm-hmm. but it's funny. Yeah. We don't think about that as a, as a business value sometimes. Yeah. You know, the scientific method is a system. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Right. Let's Absolutely. Just sell, let's just sell that. Yeah. <laughs> think we could <laughs> we rebrand that. Re-brand, it's a marketing yeah. language on top of that sucker. Hashtag Simar. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, it's our new, our new system, our new research system. Born here right now. Yeah, we'll work that out later. I'll, I'll see the logo and some good stuff too, you know, so like, right. yeah. <laughs> but when you think about even um, a position within a corporation, within a, a an organization period um, where you have extreme expertise there, you want to make sure that you actually provide them the appropriate, the appropriate assistance to take all of the other tasks off of their plate that that are lower impact, right? Um, now, not low impact, but just lower impact versus you know their their mm. their jam. And what's interesting is that I'm just I'm just thinking about this right now when when people um, select executive assistants or administrative assistants for a particular person, huh. they're not necessarily looking for like complementary skills or whatever. It's just like, oh, so-and-so moved up and now they can be an executive assistant and you get assigned to this person. But if you thought about that a little bit more, that that's, that's kind of like a little microcosm, right? That's a little team there and really evaluating mm-hmm. like, how do I, how do I optimize that person's unique brilliance, unique strengths, right? Mm-hmm. And, and provide a supportive team that, that helps kind of, shine that light a little bit brighter. It, it works within an organization as well. It does seem like it's tricky business with smart people because smart people like going to the doctors, right? Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily want to be told what they don't know mm-hmm. and what they're doing, if not wrong, incorrectly, or could be doing better. 
Mm -hmm. Right. That's a tricky conversation when you've got people who have invested a lot of time, energy, effort into accomplishing certain levels of accomplishment. Um, Yeah. Notoriety in their chosen field. And then you're like, you know what? That thing, you're not, you could be doing it so much better. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I guess I have to kind of evaluate how it's received. I don't feel like I've gotten like horrible pushback I, or maybe I don't perceive it as pushback. Right. Mm. Because I feel like this is this iterative process of mm. us figuring out like what, what resonates with you. The most important thing, like I, I can be asking the probing questions right. and say, so what about this versus this versus that? Um, but that person needs to resonate with it when, when they resonate with it, then you can, you can tell there's a big difference. And the reason that's really important is when I work on the person's visibility, right? Meaning you're going to be on a podcast, on a speaking stage or whatever, when they're talking about the thing that they resonate with, Mm. then it's really different than just talking about the thing that they know. Right. Yeah. It's totally different. And that's where that appearance becomes, I like to call it a lead generating machine. We use our texting technology and and all that stuff, but that strategy of, of saying like, I want, I I want to be in my my zone of genius and for people to be like, whoa, that person was in their zone of genius, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and then that leads also to the audience knowing why they should work with you, mm-hmm. right? When you teach a lot of things because you're extremely smart and you can talk about all of these things, right? Then the audience doesn't exactly know what to do next. So they just assume mm. like, Oh, thank you for the gift. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I call that a charity talk. <laughs> I think we called it before like a one night stand. Didn't yes, we call it? Like, one of my clients said, I felt like a one night, a stand. One night stand. She's yeah. like, because I, I never got any second dates from it. I'm like, right. yes, yes. Mm. It's just, and, 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 you know, people clap and they're like, wow, that was amazing. You should come back next year. Yeah. Because it was good for them. You just right. gave a charity. Um, but you worked on the presentation. Maybe you flew there or you took time out even for zoom or whatever. I mean, it's time and effort. And, um, it's, it's one thing if you are in education, for example, where it's like, that's what you do. But when you realize it has to be for your business, you need to mm. make sure that there's a good ROI on that time, you yeah. know? So that's kind of where it starts all coming into play. But yeah, us smarty pants be real pains in the butts. Well, it's a, <laughs> you know, they, they don't teach you this stuff in grad school, right? And so it's the, you know, moving from idea to operationalization again, that translation between idea to execution mm. and the execution, you know, not just execution, but creating a systematized approach that can be implemented across different kinds of domains so that it can be not overly standardized, but at least be, you know, put forward with some kind of predictable outcomes exactly. or, and also recognized as a thing. And I think with a lot of people, they need to recognize a thing. Exactly. That, you know, yeah. this is an object I understand yeah. and I know what I can do with it. And this is where, again, innovation is tricky because if they can't recognize it as a thing, then there is going to be a resistance to you mm-hmm. knowing what to do with it or even appreciating or accepting it. That's why mm. when you incorporate as a business, you're incorporating as an entity or a thing. Mm. Your thing. But, and so there, there's an expectation of having some level of structure um, around that. And, um, you know, for tax purposes, a lot of us may be entities, but we're really solopreneurs. Mm. Um, and so it's difficult to 
to think uh, about that. I feel there. Well, I guess it, it it depends on on the type of work that that you do. But when folks have been working on doing something for a really long time, let's say you're an amazing mechanic, and then your business just goes away, or you pass it on to your son, your daughter, or whatever, right? But if you haven't systematized things, then technically it's just mm. the name. It's not the legacy of how well you did the things, right? How you interacted with people or whatever it was that kept you alive for 20, 30, 40 years. Mm. Um, depends if somebody cares about that or, or not, really, of whether mm. they, they put that much effort. But what happens too is if you're not thinking about that early on, then you are stuck even though you're the mechanic that everybody goes to for your BMW and you have all of these people working for you or whatever, it's still like Mike's shop. And like when Mike's Mm. not there, whether Mike it's because Mike's on vacation (laughs) or it's because Mike is sick or whatever, then things start falling, falling apart. Mm. And so that's where people feel. um, I mean, I, I have felt it when I built the, probably the first, successful aspect of my business was the consulting firm. And I had like 12, 13 people, but it was still me. Like mm. if I wasn't there, right. it, wouldn't work. Yeah. it would not have worked. And um, if I went into it better with that, that system process in mind, I would have been able to get out of it faster, but I didn't, I kind of realized it while I was mm. in it. And then I was like, Oh man, this is, this is really tough. And when I wanted to pivot, it was, it became a prison to me. Mm. I literally, I just didn't want to go into work. And I'm like, wait, into work. This is, this is your thing. This I, is I made this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Who's in charge I'm of like, this crazy house? house? Oh, wait a second. This, yeah, this place is, they, they need new leadership here. <laughs> I know. Oh, wait, that's I'm me. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's, that's me. And that's where coaches are really important. Hmm. You need those external people to kind of give you those perspectives. I mean, that's why I started rocket fuel because I feel that that experts are rocket fuel. When you Mm. personally want to reach a new level in your life or a new level in your business or a new skill set, that's, that's really hard for you. Then an expert is literally that rocket fuel. It's going to boost you into the thing. Why try and figure it out? Like, Mm. and you lose time, you lose money, you lose, lose opportunity. Right. And, um, and so I was excited about just the idea of, of interviewing people and featuring all these like wonderful experts that are like, you know, best kept secrets, um, and creating a platform that not only business owners, but people in, right. in general could like yeah. entrepreneurs tend to be a type of personality that is always kind of into personal improvement and, and, you know, in that mindset. Um, but then you kind of feel a little bit like a wacko in the muggle world. They call it, right? <laughs> the right? muggle world. Right? You know, you're just kind of like, um, my friends are not like this. They're like, why are you so ambitious all the time? Like, why can't you just like be happy with what you have? And, um, and so it's, it's good to be connected with those, those other people that say, no, it's, it's okay. So it's like a recovery group for <laughs> entrepreneurs and smart people. Yeah. I'm okay. You're okay. Yeah. We're okay. Well, this yeah. is okay. <laughs> yeah, we we kind of need that community, right? Because otherwise you're right. You know, it's like, you know, why, why can't I just kind of do my job and just come home? Mm. I've often wondered that. It's like, I can't. I can't. 
right? You just can't. I feel like it's an affliction. Like I literally hmm. be like, why am I sick? And there's you no know? drugs for this. No. You sure? No. Nothing new? Maybe a couple I, people no. in their virus and see what, like what came back yeah, up? Yeah, I know. Look in the I bag? I don't want to help uh, find that drug. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes, I what what has helped me, I will say, is um, meditation hmm. yeah. has really helped to to um and like grounding exercises and um just really focusing on um on shutting off my brain and finding that peace um there yeah because it's so easy to be like oh i'm gonna take a valium and just no now you're just loopy and your brain's still <laughs> still going you know um but meditation has really really been an amazing help for me. And you met actually one of my coaches, I did. um, Victoria Whitfield, who is also a client yep. of ours, but she taught, mm. um, this concept called strategic meditation using mm. uh shamanic journeying. Yep. Wow. Like literally something that shamans have done for 3000 plus years. Um, and, uh, she helps entrepreneurs use it to, um, I guess be their own shamans, right. In their mm. worlds and their lives. And um, to be able to calm their their minds and receive guidance that way, and and I've really benefited a lot from that. Yeah, personally. the more we talk about it, it, just it seems like Rocket Fuel is a recovery group for smart people. <laughs> I never <laughs> thought of it that way, right? <laughs> You know, and so you're like, you know, in a world, you'd be like Bill, you know, Bill who founded it, right? Or <laughs> Lois A in Al-Anon. It's like, you know, Wanda T. It was like, you know, because we don't use last names because it is anonymous. It's like, you know, Entrepreneurs Anonymous. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully, yeah. no, to hopefully make you not anonymous, right? Because I want you to be visible and be out there and be brilliant and um, and just shake off those those the old frameworks that kind of mm. keep you from from blooming and shining as bright as you can. Is this just a sales yeah. pitch to get me to, to do this? Because it sounds great. That no, <laughs> yes, it is actually. Has it worked? Yeah, signed up. Yeah. yeah, I would be honored. This is almost honored. like a timeshare meeting, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before you leave today, <laughs> wait, we have, wait, we have one, one more thing. thing. I'll give you a free disc, man. Yeah, yeah. We, we got a bag. It's a leather bag. You can have a bag. Actually, actually, it's a canvas bag. But you can get a leather leather bag if you get ten more people. That's interested. It's all you need is 10 more people. Usable something back. Yeah. But if they get 10 more people, then you get the leather back. Then you get it. Okay. Vegan leather in this case. Right. Vegan leather in this case. Yes. Of course. Nothing but. I've seen some amazing vegan leather. It's interesting. Yes. Made out of cactus something. Cactus and like mushroom they make it out of. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. Really going cool. back to going back the pharmacological effects, the go. mushrooms and the cacti. Look the bag on a shamanic journey. Yeah. yeah, you can look at shamanic journey. There yes. you go. <laughs> Done. Check. All right. Yeah, I think I think we got a strong convergence here. Our ideas. Now we just need an executor. <laughs> I do want to clarify that I do shamanic journey without the support of any hallucinogens or whatever. It's with drumming. So there's oh, yes, yes. no drugs involved in the shamanic journey. I just no. want to make sure. Duly, duly noted. Duly noted. <laughs> I don't think, uh, yeah, I, you don't want to see me on drugs. I, I feel like I'm just, I don't know what would come out of my brain if I was on some sort of hallucinogen. Which Woo! is which is why you have decaf coffee right now. Exactly. <laughs> because and I if, said it how many times? I was if, like, decaf, decaf. Because if, if this is on decaf, I don't want to see <laughs> exactly. the other version because exactly. I don't think the the walls could hold that kind of energy. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes when when I go calf, when I go calf, what? hashtag, um, <laughs> hashtag going calf, um, I get into these like super like 
visionary mode. Like it really is like, so I'm just like, oh my gosh, I have to like write this down or I have to really like start documenting or I'll go into meditation because I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't control this. This is okay. Decaf next time, please. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting, but I, but I like it. Cause I love, I love thinking of ideas with people for people. Um, and one of my best friends actually recently, um, told me, I was explaining to her, she's like, what are you doing now? And, um, and I mentioned it and she was like, oh, thank goodness. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, Wanda, you've always had five bazillion ideas and this and that. And she, she's like, now do you realize you can have those ideas for other people? Right. Hmm. And I was like, whoa. I was just going to talk about it as we kind of wrap up that um, after I first met you, my wife asked me, how how did it go? I'm like, I don't know. She's She's like really happy and upbeat. <laughs> I don't know. It's annoying. It's a little weird, but this idea, going back to the idea of you being a cheerleader, mm, I mean, how, how different is it, right? That yeah. you're cheering before, but except now the cheerleading you're doing. And often when you're working with these clients, they might've been trying to do these, execute these ideas for themselves, mm. may not have worked. And so now they need that lift, right? That boost, yeah. that rocket fuel, because mm. more than likely they're probably kind of like lost and bummed out that they've been trying to do these things, but haven't gotten the traction they wanted. Yeah. So, yeah. so going back to your mirroring, you know, with the physicians ramp, you know, using, being able to authentically use that energy yeah. rooted in your cheerleading past to do not only just be like just a figurative cheerleader, but be an idea and innovator cheerleader as well. Yeah. Oh, I like it. I'm like, that's why I have a PhD and do this for a living. Yeah, local. man. It's really cool. <laughs> Freedom rock, dude. That's, that's what's so what's next as we wrap up here? Oh my goodness. I I I, I just love it. Hey, can I offer people the yeah. opportunity to learn more about Rocket? Of course you can. Yeah, cool. So I did invent this technology that allows you, the listener, to text in 3D. <laughs> uh, yes, for, for more information. But but seriously, I have uh, the Rocket Fuel podcast where I interview experts. And so you can learn so much from that alone. And then we're doing these Rocket Fuel workshops and there's more. I'm working on a Rocket Fuel live event and Rocket Fuel TV. Um, but just text Rocket Fuel, R-O-C-K-I-T-F-U-E-L to 411321. I'm assuming that you're in the U.S. So 411321 is the number. Rocket Fuel, R-O-C-K-I-T-F-U-E-L is the message. And you will get our episode binge guide. You're going to get updates on our workshops and our events that are happening. And just stay connected. I mean, we have networking events as well. Um, you get a bag. Is there a space yeah. in between Rocket Fuel? Is it all There's one no word? Space. No space. No okay. space. Thank you for asking. You're welcome. R-O-C-K-I-T-F-U-E-L, no space, to 411321. We will ask you for your email address because we need to email you the things. Um, and you'll be able to also see how my technology works. That's called a, a catch word. Right. Um, and, um, and catch words is we're the only uh, tech or texting platform um, in the globe that actually does this, allows people to text and get information emailed to them in response. And that's a whole other conversation because that's all purposeful, you know, as a science geek. Um, mm. But it serves the audience better. We get to give them good content. It's in your email. So you can open it. You can share it with other people versus if I just texted it to you, then it's going to get lost. Right. Mm. So um, but I, I hope for the opportunity to connect. And there you actually have a link um, to to book time with me. 
Uh, so I feel like if anybody's listened to me in a podcast or a speaking engagement and and they're they're into it, then they can get time on my calendar. <laughs> they 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 get who I am. <laughs> hopefully, we get you. Yeah, yeah, I hope. I hope. It's funny that you said that. Oh, uh, she's a little happy and, and giggly. And the thing is, like, I, I didn't say really... giggly. I said I said upbeat. Oh, upbeat. I said happy. Okay, you see? And, and I, you know, I'm like, I didn't say giggly. And giggly. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't put that gender language in my mouth. That is definitely not what I said. Oh, no, you didn't. No. <laughs> um, yeah, and and um and with that. Wanting to, people to to understand that, you know, I, I can also be very serious about what what happens. But I, I really uh, any well, anybody that I've interacted with can create a su successful, sustainable business and can also create a business system around it. Mm. It's totally possible. So it's just a matter of whether you have the right framework and structure and there's mindset. As well, of course. So I think what I what I've realized is when you have highly intellectual people, the framework and structure actually is a little bit more like, okay, I can buy into that. Versus a lot of other folks are like, you have to have the right mindset to be an entrepreneur. Mm. And they might start with that first, right? But for folks that are highly intellectual, it makes sense that there is stability, there's repeatability, right, in in framework and structure. So mm. you start there and then you can start talking about the mindset. And I think inherently as a personality, I'd probably help with, with mindset and then, you know, connect you with other people too. So it's, I've learned a lot about myself here. Thank you, gentlemen. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, this feels a little like therapy for me too. So this is great, you know, <laughs> for your decaf coffee. That's you also that exactly. Yes, see, yes, we're on the yes, same page there. On the same page. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. We want to thank Wanda Toro Torini for talking about her unique career path to designing brand and marketing experiences. You can learn more about Wanda's work, catchwords, and rocket fuel in our show notes. Also, we want to thank Michael Kirkpatrick of Centric Park for hosting our live conversation. You can check out what Centric Park can do on your experience designs as well in the show notes. And as always, we want to get in conversation with you, dear listeners. Are you a visionary or an implementer? This is a question that really resonated with me in our conversation. You know, how do you identify what people know, what they need to know, and what's going to resonate with them? And what's been your favorite shamanic journey? And last, but definitely not least, have you ever been to Newburyport? In I have. Yeah. There you go. Fantastic. <laughs> it was nice, right? Lovely. Yep. So as always, two folks get in conversation with us. Shoot us a message at feedback at experiencexdesign.com or hop in the conversation over on our LinkedIn page. And we want to thank you, the listener, for continuing to be part of our journey here at Experience by Design. We always love to be engaged in these conversations with people doing very interesting things. And we're really excited to bring you them on basically, I think, a biweekly basis or so. So thanks again for mm -hmm. listening. And thanks again to all of our guests for sharing their knowledge with us. And if you are looking to sponsor any episodes or get involved with Experience by Design, feel free to reach out to us at feedback at experiencexdesign.com. And you can always support our efforts by buying us a coffee through our buy us a coffee link at experiencexdesign.com. And with that, folks, thanks so much for being here. Be safe, be kind, be well, 
be experienced and be here for the next experience by design.